welcome to the Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And Scotty, too hottie, makes his Talk is Jericho debut today. He's talking about all his time at WWE, including his most recent run as a coach at the Performance Center and a live show producer for NXT. Scotty spent four years working at the Performance Center and talks about the talent that came through and what he loved about coaching. He also explains what prompted him to quit, and he shares his thoughts on all the changes at NXT over the last year. Scotty talks about his early days at WWE as a performer. He remembers his tryout, what finally landed him a WWE contract, and how he got to be teamed up with Too Sexy Brian Christopher. He talks about the evolution of their tag team, Too Much to Too Cool, and how Rikishi came to be their third. He's got stories about what inspired the worm, the dancing, who they had the most fun with in the ring. He recalls some of his favorite matches and moments, explains why Too Cool eventually split up, and shares the details behind his original release from WWE. Scotty also recently returned to wrestling. He's back in the ring, performing in the indies, and loving every minute of it. And now that he's back on the scene, he is a busy man. Think of all these dates in February. The 3rd and 4th in San Antonio, the 5th in Jackson, Tennessee, the 10th Orlando, the 11th Butler, New Jersey, then he's hitting Alabama on the 12th, Taunton, Massachusetts on the 25th, Lots of stuff going on. Make sure you go to at the Scotty to Hottie. That's S C O T T Y to the number H O T T Y the Scotty to Hottie on Twitter and get all the information on where he's going to be. All right. Information where I'm going to be next year, February 2nd to the 6th. That's when Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea, the Four Leaf Clover takes place. Go to Chris Jericho Cruise. .com to sign up for the mailing list and find out all the information um, as you can book your cabin as we got a whole lot more time now and our lineup is basically staying the same and we're going to our very own private island as we set sail from Miami and head to the Great Stirrup K in the Bahamas. Like I said, a stop at your very own private island. It's going to be the vacation of a lifetime. ChrisJerichoCruise.com In the meantime, Fozzie's spring leg of the Save the World Tour in the United States is rolling on as scheduled we're hitting the road again on March 31st with our new drummer, Grant Brooks, in tow. We're crossing the country. We're going everywhere, East Coast, West Coast. We're going to the Whiskey-A-Go-Go. We're going to the Irving Plaza. We're going everywhere. So go to FozzyRock.com for all ticket information and VIP information. We play a private concert just for you if you're a VIP. Get all that information at FozzyRock.com. Go do it now. Rock with us in March, but hang with us right here, right now, today. Scotty Tuhati on Talk is Jericho. Here's something funny. We're just going to jump right into this right now. So it's always cool to start with something fun. So uh, Scotty Tuhati was here, and the last time we saw each other was at Paul McCartney in Orlando. So he texts me and says, are you at Paul McCartney? <laughs> I think that I, he DMs me on Twitter. I think that I'm DMing him back. And I say, yeah. I said, instead of DMing me, just text me at this number. So I put my phone back in my pocket and it starts from like boop, boop, like buzzing. Bzz, bzz, bzz. I'm like, what the hell's going on? I've got a hundred texts on my phone, 101, 102. And then you text me and go, hey, man, I think you posted your number on social media. <laughs> <laughs> I was just telling this story to somebody the other day. That was funny. Yeah. So uh, I just said, well, I'm just, I'm just going to no sell it and just hopefully they'll just leave me alone. And after... Yes. 
after about a week, they did. But once in a while, I changed numbers now. But for a while, once in a while, I would still get a, is this Chris Jericho? And I was like, ah, Scotty uh, Duhati. That's all my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good to talk to you, man. Uh, and you, you reached out to me. It's a new leaf for you, a new uh, uh, time in your life. And it's probably pretty exciting because now, uh, and we'll talk about everything, but right now, after years of being in the Performance Center, which we'll talk about, you're now kind of back on the streets, going back uh, into the ring again. Yeah, I am. And you know what the coolest part about it is? Is It was my choice. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a goal from, uh, you know, it, it goes back to 2007 when I was released as right. a wrestler, you know. Um, in 2006, my contract was up and... Uh, they asked me to sign a three-year right. three-year deal, and uh, I was on the fence for like a month. You know, I was wasn't happy. I was doing dark matches. I was doing matches with, you know, the new flavor of the week, and uh, and just uh, right. not really having fun, right? So, yeah. but I said, ah, hell with it, and I ended up signing that three-year deal. Well, a year into that three-year deal, I was released. Okay, and I told myself never again would I do that. You know, and that's kind of where I was at this time around, you know, I was just not having fun and it was, it was, I knew it was time to move on. And I told myself when I came back, that was, that was one of my goals was to walk away on my own this time. So you could kind of see the writing on the wall when they were kind of deciding uh, the first time to let you go, if you weren't being used, was that what's kind of going on in the performance center too, or was it just not fun for you there anymore? And a little of both, you know, yeah. I saw the writing on the wall and as everybody knows, you know, NXT has changed a lot over sure. the last, you know, six months to a year. And uh, for that first four years or so, it dude, it was, it was the dream job. It was mm-hmm. awesome. You know, NXT was like the hottest thing in wrestling, you know, the re- hottest brand in wrestling for a long time, even though it wasn't the biggest, it was still, you know, we would go to a WrestleMania weekend or a SummerSlam weekend and steal a show, you know, and the cool factor. It was the cool factor, right? Yeah. And then uh, just over the last six months to a year, a lot of changes happening. And, and I understand, you know, I understand where they're coming from. But for me personally, it was just that, you know, like you said, the writing was on the wall and it was, it was time to go. And dude, looking around, you know, I'm seeing, you know, what you guys are doing over there at AEW and I'm seeing, you know, you having fun and, and Matt Hardy having fun. And, and, uh, you know, I see Adam Cole walk out there with a different guy and just like I text him like, dude, you look like you're having so much fun over there. And then, you know, do you take outside of AEW, even like, you know, on the independent scene right now, Matt Cardona is out there killing it every weekend. Mm-hmm. And, and he says the same thing. He's having a blast. And, and I'm going, dude, I'm the same age as Jericho and Matt and Ed, you <laughs> yeah. know, and Edge, you know, I know I can still, do this i'm still in decent shape and if i'm going to do this now is the time so that's pretty cool because like you mentioned it's been the last four or five years with nxt so now to go back into the ring are you were you starting to feel that itch even before aw did you think that you went into the training zone maybe a little bit too early or well i was I, honestly dude i was done when i when yeah. i um because i was first offered a job uh, at fcw when bill demont was over there and, you know, there were rumors of them moving to Orlando and becoming something different. But I was going through fire school at the time, and I just kind of decided to to move out and move into the firefighting EMT thing, you know, uh, which was, looking back, was a crazy idea. Um, <laughs> and uh, 
but I just wanted to do something different, you know, and uh, I, I said no then. And then when it happened at Orlando, in Orlando, in my own backyard, Matt Bloom is the head coach now, who's been one of my best friends for, you know, 25 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just seemed to all fall into place. And it was kind of a no brainer. And then as soon as I did it, and I didn't know if I could be a coach. I was a backyard guy before there was a, a word for backyard wrestling. Oh, okay. You know, so I, I never went to a, a, a proper wrestling school. I was never properly trained. I, I learned on 18 mattresses in my mom's garage. And, <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure you remember that there was a tape out at the time called Secrets of Pro Wrestling, you know, and uh, and that's kind of how we learned, you know, a lot of our stuff, you know, and, and uh, then we met a guy who got us booked on some local shows and it just snowballed from there. So you said you, you weren't sure how to be a trainer because of that. Right, because I was never trained. So I'm going right. to, you know, especially when you have guys like Norman Smiley and Robbie Brookside in there who could, you know, wrestle a paper bag, you know, and, and with their, their, um, their technical part right. of it is so good at what they do where I just kind of, uh, you know, bullshitted my way through, you know, I would, I would always do the tie up, you know, take the arm, the guy, take it back. I do a front <laughs> roll, back roll. Uh, handspring and I mean, man, that guy knows what he's doing. <laughs> and just do it again, again. <laughs> yeah. but, but you know, the difference is though, Scotty, is that you have the experience. I mean, Norman had a little bit of it, but, but as far as being on the main stage for many years, that experience is much more valuable than knowing how to do, you know, a freaking hammer lock into a twist lock into a, you know, arm lock or whatever. Yeah. The yeah. And I found that out over time, you know, my, my confidence built over the, the five to six years that I was there and you just I fell in love with the job, man, and working with these kids and, and uh, seeing them grow, you know, from the ground up and all of a sudden, you know, they're at WrestleMania, you know, and so that's yeah. somebody I just, I, I you know, uh, like somebody like a Lacey Evans, I taught her how to throw a punch and then, you know, she's, and, and then I ended up naming the punch, you know, the women's right. And like, and then you see that being used, uh, you know, I'm in the gym doing cardio on a Monday night or whatever. And I see her on the TV in the gym and that's like, there's, there's a, there's a pretty cool payoff to all that, you sure. know? So I did, I fell in love with the job and that was, that was uh, one of the hard parts of, of leaving and asking for the release, I think was to, to just kind of walk away from all those people, you know, because I love the coaches. I love the, I love the, um, I love the talent that I worked with and they become kind of like your kids. You know, I always say like Renee uh, Gonzalez and and Rhea Ripley both became like my, I call them my wrestling daughters. You know, I saw them grow and mature and, and, you know, dude, go on and be successful, you know? So what, what was your role in the, the PC? Like, where did you go level? Were you at coach wise and all that sort of thing? Kind of explain that. So pretty much everybody that walks in the door goes to uh, nor- either Norman Smiley or Robbie Brookside right away. And they, right. they teach them the foundation and the basics, which I can't teach at all. Right? right. And then, and then from there, they kind of spread out between uh, Steve Carino, myself, Chris Guy. Um, and then, you know, and then it kind of goes up the ladder to Terry Taylor, Shawn Michaels. And uh, I was more of the um, storytelling, showbiz, psychology mm. part of it, you know, which I love, you know. Right. So, yeah, that was it, man. So they they would kind of have, because there's so many uh, students in the class, they would go through the beginnings with, with Robbie and Norman. And then as they kind of improve, would they kind of leave that ring and go into your ring sort of a thing? Is that how it works? Ring yeah. by ring? Yeah, about every one or two months, classes would change. You know, and some people would advance. Some people would stay in the class they were in, depending how they were doing. You know? Yeah. Um, and well, now, dude, it's, it's just a kind of fast track. They, they want everybody... 
they want everybody on television soon, quick, you know. So we'll see. We'll see, man. I don't know how it does, but it's all it's all kind of a new system now over the last six months to a year. So, so you mentioned Rhea Ripley and you mentioned Raquel Gonzalez. So, so what were you teaching them that you really felt like you said they felt like your kids? Like, why is that those two and, and not everybody? I think it's just all about the relationship you cre- you create with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had specifically asked for those, those two. Um, they just needed the confidence. You, you know mm-hmm. how it is. Once you see the confidence changes everything. Yes. And uh, I didn't, I had never had any women in my class up till that point. And really never again after, which is kind of weird, but, mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, I had them working with guys. I had them in there with Ricochet. I had them in there with Marcel, Fabian, um, Lilia Rush was in my class at the time. And, and, uh, they just needed to learn to kind of lay their stuff in and not hold back, which they would do with some of the smaller girls, you know, and they just needed, you know, both those guys, Marcel, Fabian, all those guys I mentioned can go. You know, they just needed somebody to lead them and, and uh, increase their confidence. And that's and that's what happened. So what, what about from the guy's side? Were there some of those dudes that you felt affinity with? Yeah, um, Street Profits for sure. Mm-hmm. I think you can kind of see the guys I would gravitate, more of the entertainment guys. I uh, see. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I got Ot- you. Uh, Otis, you know. Yeah, what a great know? guy. Yeah. Awesome. Dude. Awesome. <laughs> you know, those guys and, and just kind of, you know, you can get away and, you know, as you know, like you can get away with the, as we call it, like the ha ha and the character stuff up to a point. But then like for me personally, I could come on and be jumping around, you know, do my thing. They want to see the worm, you know, but at, at some point you have to get serious in there. It can't be yeah. all comedy all the way through, you know, and yet you kind of have to, sometimes people want to do too much and there's nothing worse than bad comedy and wrestling. Yeah, that's right. Good point. So uh, what what were some of the the people that came through that, A, right away you knew were going to be big stars because they had it? And then we'll answer that question first. Then I have a a, a sister question to that. Um, Definitely Otis. I mean, the guy was like... uh, um, he's what's his made. name? What's his name? Uh, Chris Farley. He's like Chris Farley. <laughs> uh, Belushi like reincarnated. The dude was just funny. Like he didn't even yeah. have to open his mouth. You just look at him, and just the way yeah. he's, you know, him. Same thing. Um, Street Profits. Although I can remember, um, we would have to do weekly reports, just kind of what a rundown of what we did in our class. And I can literally remember with um, Ford. Who's a wild man now and just crazy, you know, his personality wise, just crazy. I can remember writing him reports. I need to get him to come out of his shell. Oh, you know, and like, <laughs> right. he wouldn't say two words in class, you know, but eventually he came out of that show and, and uh, they've gone on to do really well. Uh, Elias was a guy I worked with early on. You know, we mm-hmm. did a Japan, Australia uh, tour back in 2016 and I worked with him a lot on trying to, how to, and trying to figure out how to make that whole character work. Yeah, there's, there's a few of the guys, you know. Was it kind of frustrating at times because there was a little bit of a pattern where you guys would build up certain talents in NXT and then they would go to the main roster and not get really much of a chance to shine at all? It happened quite often. Yeah, it's frustrating, right? And, yeah. I, and I can't even explain it. You know, a guy like Bobby Roode, I go, man, they're going to love him up there. Gosh, he, looks, he looks like a man, right? Like, can't Perfect, see yeah. Him go up there and, 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 and a guy like Roode, dude, he's a guy who was, you know, he had worked for years and years just to get get there. You know, as uh, Eric Young's another one. You know, mm-hmm. they go up, they were like, oh, I can't wait to see this sanity entrance on a big stage. You know, it's going to be so cool. They go up and nothing. And it happened over and over and over, right? Like, uh, right. Nobody just, uh, I don't want to say nobody, but 
they just didn't have that same feeling when they went up, you know, which is sad. Is that something you guys discussed? I mean, obviously, especially when we could talk about this, when Triple H was really in charge, would he ever say anything about that? Or was he just kind of like knowing that's just how it is? Not to me, but I mean, dude, yeah. he's got to feel it, right? Sure. Like, like I just, he felt like he had his, uh, he was the man. I, you know, yeah. I'll say it, like he was the man. And uh, I would see him in rehearsals sometime, just like he would come out, he, like, uh, what's his name? Um, Priest. Damien Priest was, mm-hmm. was coming, was debuting and he was rehearsing his entrance. And I can remember him doing it over and over. And then Hunter said, ah, oh, can we, you know, can we move that light? Move your head a little bit this way. If we, every time you, you know, headbang, the light's going to shine through. And it's just like, he would see that stuff. And, you know, and you know, Hunter's dude is, uh, he's kind of like us. He's a Kiss fan. He's a, you know, he's a, he's a rock and roll yeah, fan, right? Yeah. So it was like, he kind of brought rock and roll into wrestling and made it cool again, you know? And mm-hmm. it just felt like when they went up, they lost, so they lost a little something. You know, some guys, Priest has done all right though. But yeah, he has. Yeah. Then other guys. guys like like Ricochet has not yep. gotten the shots yep. that he should have gotten. Yep. That's that to me yep. was a no brainer. Yep. Good looking guy, real life superhero. And then what do they do? They try and promote him as a superhero. Yep. <laughs> Talk is Jericho is brought to you in part by Steven Singer Jewelers. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. Steven Singer is announcing his brand new rose color for this Valentine's Day. Are you ready for what it is? Click your heels three times and say, I wish I knew what the new color is. Well, wish is granted. Steven Singer's brand new rose is Emerald City. Picture it, a real rose dipped and trimmed in 24 karat gold with sparkling deep green petals. This magical Emerald City rose will take her breath away this Valentine's Day as she opens that beautiful gift box to reveal a real rose encased in 24 karat gold, brilliantly set against a stunning deep green. Go to IHateStevenSinger.com today and get your Steven Singer Emerald City 24 karat gold dip rose. Get yours before they're gone, exclusively and only available at Steven Singer Jewelers. It's the number one gift this Valentine's Day. Steven's famous gold-dipped roses start at just 59 bucks, and all of them come with a lifetime guarantee and fast, free shipping Real jewelers, real roses for your real love, all at IHateStevenSinger.com. Well, I want to get into to your career and, and too cool and all that stuff, but the last thing I see, you mentioned that it's changed over the last six months, and we can see that on the screen and kind of how it's went from kind of a rival with AEW to then just going completely in a left direction, all new guys, all different look. When did that start happening, and how did that change your mentality of what was going on? Because you mentioned that's one of the reasons why you wanted to go. Yeah, I think it was, you know, it was when, uh, right around the rebranding, you know, and and, uh, and they just decided to go in a different direction. And, and, you know, Hunter used to say, we have this culture here that if we could bottle it, we could make millions off this culture. And it was more of the backstage culture that, that we are NXT thing was a real thing. That was a real pride. You know, amongst the uh, roster, amongst the roster. Yeah. I feel like that's that's been lost to a degree, which is sad, dude. It was uh, it was the coolest environment that I'd ever been in in my, you know, 30 mm. years, 30 years of wrestling. Like there was just never that, you know, it was still it was still a wrestling business. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But there was this there was a certain pride there that that uh, there was there wasn't anywhere else. Um, and it just started to change. And like, they started to come in with, you know, rules and I. One of the first weeks for since COVID, uh, they they started to let us wear the NXT tracksuits to TV because we don't see anybody. 
You know, we come right. into the performance center for television. We don't have any fans waiting outside. For the longest time, there weren't any fans. Nobody there, yeah. And then in the building, it's all in-house people. So we were wearing uh, NXT tracksuits. And then, you know, as soon as it started to change, you know, and Hunter went away and and the other guys started to come in and it was, okay, we got a business back to business cash now. And then, oh. you know, then the next week it was, uh, this is awesome. The next week was, uh, uh, hey, uh, uh, hey uh, Vince, uh, Vince wants the coaches looking younger. So uh, we need you guys to start dyeing your beards and, and cutting your hair. The coaches. What? So uh, I did. I, I like I literally lost sleep over it. And I'm like, you know, a couple of them went and they did it right away. And uh, dude, I've had every, every, every kind of facial, just like you, every kind of facial hair dyed, You're not right, dyed, right. you know, the yeah. chin strap, the goatee, the beard, <laughs> the every, I've had everything, you know, spiked up hair, bald head. So it's yeah. not about that. It was like, yeah. dude, what are they just, they're making us jump through hoops like monkeys just to see mm-hmm. if we'll do it. You know, so if you do that, what's next? Right. So um, that was, it was, that was just the beginning of. I have a theory and, and you don't have to comment on this. This is not, this is not that type of show and you've listened before. I think knowing Vince as well as I do, and, and you've been there for many years as well. I think that when AEW started beating NXT handily every week, that Vince used NXT as a scapegoat and blamed NXT because if it was, if, if I was running it, we would have yes. killed them. Yes. It's obviously not working because of what Hunter's doing or what, you know, Regal's doing or what Scotty Two Hotties doing. Clear them all out. I'm taking over and I'm going to show you what it's all. I really believe that that happened because of AEW. No, I agree. Yeah, that's that's what it feels like, right? There, there yeah. just, there's just not a lot of uh, not a lot of explanation to it and what happened. It was, it, you know, it's it's. You know, yeah, it, may, it pisses you off, right, as being a part of it. But it's also sad because it was almost like they killed it off. And they killed this awesome thing that we had yes. off, you know. So we lost this thing. And it was almost like dealing with a death, dude. And it was uh, it was just sad. You know, be, I think people, um, you know, in my statement when I left, I said, uh, you know, I just wasn't having fun anymore. And I said something about the yellow and, and gold brand. And a lot of people took that and ran it with, oh, I was just shitting on the show. And, you know, the show is what it is. And it, it, the, the new show will give a lot of young people opportunity. But that really, I wasn't, there's a lot of people busting their ass to make that show good. Now, Shawn Michaels and Road Dog and all those guys are, you know, they're doing the best they can to, to, to make that good. Um, and I wasn't saying it that I was talking about the culture, you know, as right. part of something special with a yellow and gold brand, it's just not there anymore. And it was time to, you know, they can do whatever they want. It's their company, but I yep. also have to make the decision for myself. You know, when I'm driving into Orlando every day and my stomach's in knots because right. I, yeah. I don't like to go to work, I have to make that, that choice, you know, mm-hmm. and I did. Thanks to our friends at Geico for supporting Talk is Jericho. If you own or rent your home, you know it can be hard work, but you know what's easy is bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy, and it's a good thing too because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you can save. It's Geico easy. Visit geico.com today. That's geico.com. Well, let's go back to the beginning of your career because you, we've never, you've never been on the show before. I want to talk about how you got into the WWE in the first place because it's a, you've told me snippets of it that I remember, and it's one of those classic. Just we were all that way. 
when there was no internet and there was no stewed sheets, it was just like, how can I get in the WWE? Yeah. Maybe I'll try it this way. So yeah. kind of explain what your first forays in into trying to get booked, brother, were. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I, um, the first wrestling ring I was ever in was a WWF ring. My buddies and I used to go to the shows early to try to meet the guys, you know, and uh, <laughs> yeah, get pictures so with them and uh, wait outside the arenas. We get there, you know, 12 hours before, you know, the trucks wouldn't even be there yet. You know, yeah. it's just a house show somewhere. Wearing tighter shirts. So yeah. Big. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was probably 15 years old. We were at a show, I think it was Biddeford, Maine. And it was like a C show, not even a B show. I mean, I think the main event was the Rockers. And it was like the Rockers had just come in. I think they were still using the Midnight Rockers versus the <laughs> Conquistadors was the main event. Right. And that's uh, got to be a high school gym yeah, show. Right pretty close right yeah yeah it was really and then yeah. uh so we're standing in line at the concession stands and this dude gets in line behind us and he has a wwf ring crew shirt on polo shirt so we start talking to him <laughs> we start talking to this guy and you know he works on the ring crew shoots the shit whatever and then a few weeks later i don't know if you remember this or not but bret hart and bad news were starting a program and bad news had a match on like superstars and then as he's getting out of the ring there's this fan in the front row with the Bret Hart the plastic mm -hmm. glasses on and Bret, yeah. and bad news goes out there and rips them off his head and rips them up. That's the dude that we were talking to. Oh. They used him as a plant, right? Oh. <laughs> so the next time they come to Portland, Maine, uh, which was where I grew up going to all the shows, we, uh, you know, again, we go early. He's the guy. We start talking to him again. He remembers us. He starts over time. He starts letting us set up the ring with him. And uh, he would go, all right, guys, I'm going to go get some lunch. I didn't say you could get in the ring, but wink wink and then we would get in there and just mess around until i can remember arnold skull and throwing us out one time you know showing up to the building and here we are 15 years old you know, <laughs> jumping around he throws us out and uh you know another time was jimmy miranda who mm. was the merchandise guy yeah. uh, who eventually uh went to pat patterson for me and said hey why don't you give this kid a look you know and got me a try really? so jimmy miranda throws me out of the ring and then years later gets me a tryout so didn't you uh, call wb headquarters a, a couple times or something like that too i did i uh well i wrote a letter to them asking <laughs> when i was like the same thing right around the same time 14 15 years old I, I wrote a letter and asked uh you know what wrestling school do you guys take your wrestlers from and i didn't think i'd ever hear back you know and i got the address i think it was like out of the back of the wwf magazine or something, <laughs> somewhere in the magazine and uh, i got a letter back from Sue Aitchinson. No kidding. It's still with the company. She, she's the best. Yeah, she yeah, has run awesome. everything backstage from Make-A-Wishes to WrestleMania parties to apparently writing letters to kids. Yeah. So she wrote me back and just said there wasn't any specific, specific school. And I still have the letter. And they ended up publishing the letter in the WWF magazine years later. Oh, that's know? cool. But, that's so cool. Yeah, pretty cool. But so from there, there was a guy who was at one of these WWF house shows looking at the ring because he had just bought an old boxing ring. He said it was Rocky Marciano's boxing ring. He was trying to convert <laughs> it to a wrestling ring. And he said, oh, I'm going to be doing a show, you know, coming up. So he booked us on his, on the first show I ever wrestled on was his, was his half wrestling, half boxing show. <laughs> and, uh, and it was Thanksgiving night, uh, November uh, of 89. Wow. And, you started before I did. Really? Yeah. A year earlier. As, and uh, he, um, 
it was head to head with the Survivor Series because at the time the Survivor Series was on <laughs> Thanksgiving night, right? So brilliant promoting move. Um, I think, yeah, because I think we talked about it because you know the guys that I was wrestling with uh, at the time, we were we had talked to the Hearts and we had talked mm. to Helen, and we were all set to come out there right yeah. around that time. And uh, Helen told us, "Don't come." She said, "It's not even the Hearts running it anymore," or something yeah, like that. Well, so we didn't yeah. end up going. I can't remember what the exact details, but we didn't end up going. That's about the time frame because Stampede ended in about middle of 89. Like you said, by the time Thanksgiving 89 came around, there was no more Stampede anymore. Oh, so crazy. So, so how did you first uh, get into the WWE and start working? Because I remember you started like in the light heavyweight division or something along those lines. Yeah, but even before that, I had met Phil Apollo, who was fabulous. Phil Apollo and were like world class. He was a manager. Not People confuse him with Ray Apollo, who became oh, oh, different guy. Doink, yeah, yeah. But this was Phil Apollo, uh, Playboy Phil Apollo, Playboy Vince Apollo. Um, and he saw me in an indie show. And then one day I'm working, I'm like, again, like a teenager. And uh, summer of 91, I'm working at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And uh, they said, you have a phone call, right? So what the heck? And it's, it's just Phil Apollo. I told him I worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. And he <laughs> called all these different Kentucky Fried Chickens <laughs> trying to find me and said he had been doing extra work oh, that's for, great. for WWF. And uh, he said, uh, did they want me to bring another guy? So I went up in August of 91 and had my first. I was still in high school. Just turned 18 uh, in wow. August. I had, my birthday was in July. This was like August 19th. Um, and I wrestled the Beverly Brothers. That's unbelievable. Because so you're, you're talking about 91 because it wasn't until about 98 or so when the light heavyweight division started. So yeah. the, all those years you were doing extra work there? Yeah, I signed in February of 97 when they started the, the, that first light heavyweight uh, wow. tournament, the, the tournament there. Um but yeah, so I did did extra work. I ended up going to Memphis to work for USWA in '93 for a couple months. Came back, did more extra work, and I was actually working live events, house shows, as an extra. I would oh. be like the go-to guy in the Northeast if somebody missed their flight, or yeah, or, yeah, yeah. Or, you know, they were, because there wasn't a developmental system at the time, so they would just find somebody local, and I was their guy up in that area. The, the guy we always had in the Winnipeg area was Scott McGee. Yeah, yeah, I remember the name. Yeah. <laughs> Every time you saw Scott McGee, yeah. like, oh, I know he's going to lose, but yeah. I hope this time he wins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so you were just you were just kind of keeping yourself busy on the indie scene then. So then, what finally was the catalyst to get you signed to WWE? It was Taz. It was either Taz or Dreamer got me booked for a tryout. Two days with, of tryouts with ECW. Then they were going to be in Massachusetts. Uh, on Friday and Saturday, but on Thursday, they were going to WWF was going to tape Raw. I have a hard time saying WWE when I'm talking about this time. I know, I know, it's, it's okay. weird, right? We so, know what it is. You say what so, you want. Yeah, and uh, so WWF was going to be taping Raw because they were going into the Christmas break on Thursday. So I go, I'll I'll leave a day early. I'll stop into Raw and I'll just try to talk to Bruce Pritchard and say, you know, maybe just kind of push him. Let's go, hey, I'm going to work for ECW mm-hmm. over the next couple of days. You know? hey. And uh, <laughs> so I saw him and he was in a hurry when I ran into him. And he said, I can't talk right now. He said, but can you call me on Wednesday? So I said, yeah, sure. So I go and I do Friday, Saturday work. I work Taz for ECW for uh, TV taping. And the very first night, Taz and Dreamer brought me into a room. I said, we want to do something with you. Um, and then I said, can I let you know next week, uh, Bruce Pritchard wants to talk to me on Wednesday. So I called Bruce on Wednesday and he said, yeah, we'd like to offer you a, a you know, we're starting his light heavyweight division. And, uh, 
and uh, we'd like to give you a contract, you know, so. You finally got it. Got it, yeah. How was that light, uh, light heavyweight division? I always joke and say, you know, we've changed the term over the years from like jobber to local to extra. <laughs> I always go, now it's light heavyweight division. <laughs> Dude, you know who I was eliminated from that from that tournament by? Who? Kane. Why was Kane in the <laughs> <laughs> So I won my first round match. I went to the second round match, which was supposed to be against Brian Christopher. But this is when Kane had just come in and he was just coming out, choke slamming tombstone guys, right? So uh, I they they send me to the ring. I'm waiting for Brian to come out. And uh and they hear, you know, Kane's music hits, comes down, same thing, choke slam, tombstone, I'm out of the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> like Brian just advances. It's totally legal. <laughs> yeah. Why wouldn't it be? Which is funny because didn't you and Kane end up riding together for years and years? For years, and years? Yeah, yeah. Such a great, that. such a great dude, man. And it yeah. was it was cool at the time because uh, you know, we could travel together and nobody really knew who we were because you know, without my hair spiked, you know, right. eight inches in the in the air and uh with him without the mask on, you know, yeah, they thought they were probably wrestlers, but they didn't know who we were. Somebody. You know, yeah. So you know, because you mentioned like the late nineties that WWE was trying to yes, in, in in their own kind of quaint way. We know what WWE is all about, WWF. It's about big guys, but they were trying yeah. to kind of, you know, keep keep the uh the trend and the fashion and being kind of current and having a light tournament, heavier tournament, because that was the time when WCW you know, the cruiserweights and ECW was going, but they really didn't do too much with it or really know what to do with it. No, they never have, you know, even when they try yeah. to bring back 205, you know, this last, right. the, the last version of it, it's just, it's the same thing over and over. And I would tell those guys, dude, I used to be you guys. I get it. Just go out there and, and just, just hang out there, hang in there and kill it and, and, and do your thing. Talk is Jericho is supported by Indeed. Hiring talent for any business can be a challenge. If you want an all-star team, then you need an all-star hiring partner. You need Indeed.com slash Jericho. Don't struggle on your own to find quality candidates. Indeed can help you hire the right people right now. Indeed is a hiring partner that gets you what you really want, a short list of quality candidates as fast as possible, because with Indeed, you can do it all. You can attract, interview, hire all in one place. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process so you can find talent with the skills you need through tools like Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job description, and you can even invite them to apply right away. Get started right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash Jericho. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash Jericho. Indeed.com slash Jericho. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? Then you need Indeed.com slash Jericho. So how did it, how did you end up going into the two uh, cool Scotty Too Hotty era? Well, before that was too much. It was okay, uh, right. So I did. I was, I was sitting home on a Wednesday. I hadn't worked for months. I'm ready to get released any day. You know, just waiting for that phone call because they're not they're not using me. And uh, they call me on Wednesday. WrestleMania is going to be in Boston, so this must have been like WrestleMania 14 is going to be in Boston on Sunday. And they said, "Hey, uh, uh, we need you for WrestleMania on Sunday, but we need you. you we also have a show on Friday outside at um, uh, was it Faneuil Hall or City Hall?" 
Um, and this was the deal. I don't know if you remember, I was outside and they had Tyson and DX and I was just, it was, it was crazy amount of people just on this outside. Like they called it the DX workout or something like that. But mm-hmm. I wrestled, so they brought me in for that. Um, I wrestled Taco, Taco Michinoko. And, uh, and then on Sunday I was in this tag team battle Royal, just thrown in there, Brian, Brian Christopher and I, and, uh, that day, the day of WrestleMania, I go, dude, I go to, this was like out of a movie. I go to catering to get a coffee. And uh, the way I remember it, and this might not be how it really happened, but you know, you remember things a certain way is uh, right. I go to get a coffee and it's like, there's nobody else, you know, for a mile around. And as I'm getting the coffee, here comes Vince McMahon, you know, and he's, <laughs> and he's getting the coffee and there's like a spotlight shining down on us, you know? And, <laughs> and I said, Hey, thanks for having me, you know, with, put him on WrestleMania and it's really cool. And uh, I said, I know you have me with Brian Christopher, who's, you know, too sexy Brian Christopher at the same time. And I, and just within the a couple of years before that, I had used the name Scott to uh, Taylor on some indie shows. So, and I pitched that to him. And then next week we were, I was Scott to uh, Taylor. He was too sexy, Brian Christopher. And together we were too much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, we were like the, you know, ambiguous gay duo. <laughs> that was kind of the thing, right? <laughs> but then, you know, I can remember we used to do the um, these spots, you know, like Austin would love them, you know, and be like, hey, you know that spot tonight, you know, and uh, and uh, we would do it. But uh, then we got to a point, and this was the first time I ever met Stephanie. I think she was like 18. We're at TV, TV somewhere, and she's just hanging out with, with Vince for the day, and he comes up to us, and dude, I barely had a conversation with him since the cough, probably since the coffee, uh, <laughs> coffee yeah. Incident, yeah. yeah. And, uh, he said, uh, you know, we've seen tag teams come and go over the years. He goes, but we've never seen tag teams come together, you know, for life. And he goes, I want to do a wedding where you guys marry each other on Monday night. Ron, we'll have, you know, we'll have all the other guys on the outside in their tuxedos and clapping. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. So I'm like, uh, I don't know, 23, somewhere in early twenties. And I'm like, man, I'm thinking, okay, he had just become the heel promoter with the whole Bret Hart thing. So in my mind, I'm trying to justify all this, like, okay, I could do this. And then a year from the, down the road, you know, we could say how oh, the heel promoter made us do this. And, you know, we come out baby faces, <laughs> you know, I'm trying to justify every idea in my own head. And, uh, Brian just wouldn't do it. You know, he had wrestled for his dad in Memphis for years and years and had a solid paycheck there. So I'm sure he had a backup, you know, to go, if he had to go back there. So he flat out refused to do the the tag team wedding and which Billy and Chuck later did. Right. Oh, and, wow. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Oh, he wanted you guys to do that. Yeah. Okay. I got it. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so, uh, so from there, would you have uh, done it? I mean, yeah. At the yeah, time, right you know, and now I don't know, you know, but now yeah. we do baby faces though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You'd be pushed as baby faces. Right, right, right. And uh, so uh, we just, we said no. So they took us and uh, Ronnie and Donnie Harris were coming out as DOA with the motorcycles. Um, and they took us and they, they made us like their bitches. And they put us on the back of their bikes with pink, <laughs> with pink motorcycle helmets on. And we would just come out holding their waist, you know, like we're going to oh bike my week. God. Like we're headed to bike week with these <laughs> two giant bald dudes, right? And, uh, oh, my goodness. And uh, so I don't know if that was our punishment. That was our test. You know, I just thought about this the other day. I go, was that just a test for the two cool thing? Like, oh, we've got this cool thing, but let's see if they're really on board and we'll test them a little bit. You know, yeah, you I never go know bit, with them. I go a little bit of punishment, too. It's like, yeah. all right, 
Yeah. All right, let's make them side men. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 So, you know, then uh, in uh, what it must have been May of 99, I think, we we did a, a pre-tape, a backstage pre-tape saying that Too Cool, Too Much was dead. You know, we're now known as, as Too Cool. And that dude, the promo, and now I go back and watch it, it's so cringy. Just like we, and I can remember Brian and I sitting in a locker and the locker were writing this promo on ourselves. Like, <laughs> oh, it's horrible. Because this is pre writers, too. Right, right. Yeah. There might have been so, one writer at the time, you know, maybe. but not for us, not for us, though. So, you what know? did you, what did you, what did you say? It was cringy. Oh, it's just like, we're the coolest cats in the litter box. And just that, you know, we're talking like, you know, you know white boy wannabe rappers, you know. And, and that was the gimmick. That was what it was when it started. I think over time it evolved into just kind of like this fun, this fun thing, you know. Yeah. But uh, at first that's what it was, you know. And then like uh, the very next day, so we did that. That aired on Sunday Night Heat. The very next day we had a house show in Portland, Maine, of all places. And mm. Brian... Brian tears his ACL. We're wrestling Mark Henry and D'Lo Brown. No. Brian tears his ACL. We're out for uh, for like six months, I think. I think we came back in October. But uh, in the meantime, they had me on some live events, you know. And uh, and then in this, so we, we came back in October uh, to Monday Night Raw. I think we jumped. Somehow it was involving Matt, Jeff, Edge, and Christian, mm-hmm. and, and the Hollies. We all, the, the four teams ended up going to Survivor Series that year, I know. Um, and then December, they uh, said, hey, we're going to put uh, Rikishi with you. You know, he's got this thong on. He's going to come out and save you guys. And then we want you guys to put together some kind of, like, victory dance. And I'm a dude, like, <laughs> I have one re- one dance move, and that's the worm. And that's all I've got. To still to this day, I've never danced as myself in public. It's just oh, all no. gimmick stuff. Why know? did you know how to do the worm by chance? Because because well, I did break dance in elementary school. You know, that's <laughs> okay. when like break you know like break yeah. in and break yeah, into movies. electric boogaloo electric and all boogaloo, that stuff. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> we would bring the cardboard out to recess and we would do the backspin and all that stuff. So that's all I could do the backspin and the the worm and. Uh, that in the moonwalk, you know, and I incorporated all that stuff into the character, but that's all I had. People to this day will still write to me and they go, Oh, you know, I learned to dance because of you and you're such a good dancer. And I was like, <laughs> I was making fun of the drunk white guy in the club. Right. I thought he could dance, you know, but the difference was you played it straight and Kishi could dance. Yes. That's another yes. reason why that worked. Cause you had this big freaking what is he? Three, three, three thirty, yeah. three forty, three hundred forty pounds Samoan who could move. Yeah, and, and then that, put them with you two guys. It just worked. It was magic, dude. The very first night we did it, it was like this is the reaction was just we we knew we had something, you know. And it was crazy because at the time, the three of us were kind of on the chopping block, you know. We, yeah. None of us had really done anything. He hadn't done anything for a while. Um, he, I think, he had been in Memphis with the with the the character with. Uh, well, and it really wasn't a character. He was he was supposed to be kind of the blonde sumo wrestler. But then they kind of made him kind of the street guy. I remember it was fat, like PHAT was his yeah. street wear. And it just really wasn't clicking at all. At yeah, first. And the salt, the Sultan was in there somewhere. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And then he was in Memphis. I think he was wearing the thong in Memphis or the trunks in Memphis or something. Yeah. And it just did. It just all worked. And Brian, you know, Brian put together that victory dance, which became, you know, the two cool Rikishi dance. He put that together. And then, uh, you know, and then I had the worm and Rikishi had the stink face and we all kind of had our thing, you know, and uh, I think he, Rikishi also gave us a little bit of credibility as yeah. far as being able to, uh, 
do do something, do a little bit more in the ring rather than just the character stuff. You yeah, know, you we, weren't you weren't too goose anymore. You had this right. killer guy in there who everything he did just looked amazing. Right. Right. You know, it, it's interesting because uh, first of all, I, I coined the term stink face, by the way. <laughs> really? I gave that to him, yeah. Um, but the other thing is at that point in time, if you're talking about like you know, 99, like when I first got into WWE, which is around this time frame, everybody was over. Yeah, it's so crazy. It was right? I, I remember you guys were like the perennial opening match. It was Godfather first, yep. and then you guys, or maybe just you, sec uh, on on after like, Godfather was the first wave, and then when he was done, you guys were the second wave of being opening match. Which, by the way, is the most important match, with the exception of the main event, because yeah. you got to kick it off right. And you guys would tear the f house down yeah. every single night opening up the show. Yeah, it was crazy, right? Like, it's it's sometimes I forget how crazy that time was. And I yeah. go back and I'll see some old stuff and dude, the, the signs and the crowds were just Don't you remember that? Yes. Everybody yes. had a sign. Yep. Yep. I mean, I joke now that there's more, there used to be more people at the loading docks watching us come and go from the arena than there are on the arenas now. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how far off that is, <laughs> but dude, it was like, we were, we were rock, like rock stars. And you know, yeah. you hate to say that. I mean, you are, but I mean, yeah. like, you know, uh, it was just a, it was cool. I always said my, my career peaked at the peak of the coolest time in wrestling. Yes, you know the, the uh, peak of the Attitude Era, if that's yeah. what we want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's talk quickly about Brian Christopher as, as a partner. I did. I only worked with you guys a few times, and Brian was, you know, he, he was a very kind of obnoxious to the, on the outside, a little arrogant. Uh, not, I'm not going to say not my type of guy, but I never really got to know him because we never really had any reason to interact. What was he like for you as, as a guy and as a partner? It was, uh, it was stressful. Yeah. <laughs> it was, we were very different people. Very, right. very like he was, he kind of lived the character after a mm. while. I think I can remember like going to shows. This was after we left WWE, like we were doing some shows in Memphis and he would leave the he would leave the show with his gear on, you know, we'd go to, we'd go to lunch and here he is sitting in the too cool outfit, you know, and he was just, he was a wild man. And, uh, you know, I think he went down a bad road somewhere along the way yeah. because when I met him in 93 in USWA, um, he didn't drink, he didn't do drugs, he didn't do anything. He was, he was clean. You know, he was still Brian, you know, mm -hmm. um, dude, I can remember I was at channel five in, in Memphis and, and there's this long hallway and here he comes and I had seen him in the magazines and stuff. So I knew it was Lawler's kid, you know, and I see him coming towards me and I'm walking towards him and he completely no sold me. Didn't even acknowledge that I was there. And I was like, Oh, this guy's a dick, you know, but, uh, dude, there was something, there was something special when we got in that ring that, uh, just couldn't, you couldn't even really explain it. It just, yeah. it was, but, but as far as like, we never rode together. We never roomed together. We did room together. Uh, I thought about that. We roomed together at, uh, and this is where I met you for the first time was at Owen's funeral. Oh, wow. Because they, they doubled guys up in rooms because the company paid for whoever right. wanted to go to go. Right. And you were just getting ready to come in. Yeah. I think you were in between the two companies, right? And yeah, it was, uh, it was a, may of 96 i started in august so yeah yeah, yeah. and uh 98 right 98? uh 99 sorry nine, okay. uh, 99 99 my yeah. apologies yeah. and uh i always thought it was the coolest thing like if, if there was anything good about the whole situation was because there was a real war going on at the time with you know wcw wwf and even ecw was factors that factored in yep. to a degree at the time and at the funeral um on each side of me was you 
And then Shane Douglas when it was on the outside and you oh, just look yeah. around that room and I was like, wow, like he brought together all these people in yeah. this room. Like it probably never done again. You know, I have a picture with about 10 world champions in it at Owen's funeral. Yeah. Exactly. Like you said, the funks were in there and Douglas and Jericho and Benoit and Brett. And, you know, you name it from all the Harley race, all eras and all territories were there. You know? Yeah. Crazy, man. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. But Brian was just, uh, just a wild man, you know, and I knew like, you know, he'd been re- arrested multiple times leading up to his death. And, uh, I can remember seeing whenever he would get arrested, he knew his mugshot was going to get publicity, especially in Memphis. Right. So he'd mm-hmm. always be smiling or laughing in his mugshot. <laughs> yeah, 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 Brian yeah. being Brian. Yeah. He's a worker 24 seven. Right. right. And, uh, so, so carny. Yep. Yep. <laughs> And in that last mugshot I saw him, he, he looked, he wasn't smiling. He looked oh. like he was 60 years old. He just looked worn the f*** out. And, yeah. uh, and then shortly, that was the, that was when he died and, that was you know, he died in jail. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. few days later, you know. Which is uh, a, a terrible thing, especially with the, the heights that you guys got to. And, and you were, like we said, we talk about you as opening match amazing but you guys got to some pretty big main events too why don't you talk about some of those yeah i mean people always ask me like what was my you know biggest match or favorite match and uh it was probably i always say it was um, it was monday night raw it was like february of 2000 um it was rikishi too cool cactus jack and the rock against dx and the radicals so it was there it was i think it was hunter it was hunter x Pac, perry dean benoit with Eddie on the outside, with Stephanie on the outside, with Tori on the outside, with New Age Outlaws doing a run-in, Kane doing a run-in, Paul Bearer coming with Kane. You know, did like, let me it, just say I was so jealous of that match because I wasn't anywhere near it and everybody was on it. <laughs> I remember Monday Night Raw that night there was like single match, single match, single match, single match, and then this giant match. And I was oh, like, Oh my god, where oh, the match? Ah! Oh, it was crazy. huge. Yeah, it was even, amazing too. Yeah, and you go back and watch it and again, the crowd is just electric yeah. and the crowd made it. Because when we're yeah. putting that together, I can remember sitting there, all of us together in the locker room, putting this thing together and being, oh, this is going to be a cluster. There's just so much going on. And nobody was on the same page with each other when we went out there. And again, it was just magic when it happened. You know, um, What made it magic? Like, how did you guys end up working uh, it out? I think it was just the crowd. Honestly, it was just the energy of, you know, and maybe, you know, just seeing, uh, seeing us in there. You know, with the rock and cactus, and it was just all these different dynamics and DX with the radicals, and mm. I don't know, it just all fell into place. But it was, it was cool. Let's talk about uh, the worm for a bit because you mentioned you did it as a dance. How did it start becoming a finishing move? So, in that, when I told you, uh, <laughs> I don't know if it was ever a finishing move it, or yeah, one of your moves, yeah, 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 because people say, like, oh, that was a finish. I, I remember. Vince said uh, we were doing like a King of the Ring qualifying matches on like Raw and SmackDown. And I worked with D'Lo and Vince had told whoever their producer was for my match. Oh, Vince said, use the worm. If Rock can use the people's elbow, you can use the worm as a finish. Yeah. So I, I remember beating D'Lo, D'Lo with it uh, for that match. But most of the time I would hit it and just pop up and fire up because there was more to come, you know. Yeah. Um, but it started with well, actually when we were with DOA. I used to just do it on the entrance. We would get in the ring and I would just drop down and start doing the worm just to pop those guys yeah. or pop, you know, I remember we were working with like the acolytes a lot of the time I do it just to pop them. <laughs> it was right. just kind of a joke then, you know, and then uh, when I was, while Brian was out with his torn ACL, I told you that, like I was working house shows and I can remember 
like specifically working uh, a train and laying them out by the ropes and then hitting the opposite ropes, stopping, dropping down and worming across and like dropping an elbow or dropping a headbutt. I was doing different things, uh, just, just playing with it. I knew I had something because of the reaction I was getting from the crowd, just from the worm part. I just had mm. to figure out what it was, you know, and then one night on raw, I laid, laid whoever it was out. And as I, I hopped to the other side and as I was hopping, Lawler, Jerry Lawler said, W-O-R-M. <laughs> so the next day I heard that, you know, where they used to play the show in catering. Yeah. You know, the next day and I heard him do that. And so I went up to him and said, hey, you think you could keep doing that? Because I think it would catch on with the crowd. And sure enough, you know, he did it. And then at the end, you know, it was like W-O-R-M, worm, 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 who, who, who. The whole who, who, who was just me blown up going, <laughs> but the crowd started doing it, you know? And, uh, and, and the whole, the whole karate chop thing was, do you remember John Tatum? Yeah. Hollywood John Tatum. Yeah. He was a world-class guy. And I can remember he used to do this thing when he was introduced where he did like this martial arts thing. So that's where the martial artist guy. Yeah. That's where the whole karate chop dropped down into the throat chop at the end of the worm came from. So it was just, dude, like I I would tell the the wrestlers at the PCL that just throw shit against the wall because you do not know what's going to work. If I had sat down, wrote that whole thing out and presented it to somebody, they would have said, this is horseshit. Don't ever do that. You know, but yeah. sometimes you just got to try. So you just have to try stuff. And you know, like for me, I always love, I love the people's elbow. I love the worm. I love John Cena's You Can't See Me because it's so bad. That's but it, right? It gets the reaction. And yes. who would not rather take that than a German suplex or a, anything? Like, just give me yeah. this. I'll just yeah. lie here and you yeah. hit me with some dumb thing. That's- but there were some guys in the locker room who, who were very... Uh, adamant they were not going to take the worm do you remember those guys yeah yeah and i would always like <laughs> if they ever said don't leave me laying there too long I, that's the uh yeah. that's a signal to leave them laying there too long yeah <laughs> like dude i'm gonna let you throw me around like you're not gonna throw me around unless i let you just sell I'll just lay there nobody's watching you anyways you know i can remember working with dean malenko on house shows and i would hit him with a bulldog and i would be standing over him getting ready to run in place and i'd look down and he'd be laying there pretending he's smoking a cigarette <laughs> <laughs> and you know dean so you know that's true right? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 because yeah. he knows like nobody's watching him at that moment right it's just right. like watching the this, watching this crazy thing about to happen you know yeah but dude it was uh it was such a great time i'm so you know i'm so thankful and even where i'm at right now like I'm so thankful for everything that, that came out of my time there and mm. so appreciative. And uh, even my feelings right now, just, you know, I was a little burnt out coming out of there and, uh, but I'll always be thankful. It did. If it wasn't, if it wasn't for, for that place, I wouldn't have had the platform to do all the cool things I've done, you know? So. And, and not to mention like, like you were a big, let me rephrase that. Austin and rock were a big part of the attitude, but you were a, a part of the attitude era and an integral one. Uh, you had a lot of of steam in that time frame so you contributed in in a big way i guess is what i'm trying to say and that's that's pretty cool because once again i really find and and dude like i said i worked for vince for 20 years i loved it um i don't understand sometimes the new way of getting guys over when the old way was great everybody yeah. was over man you yeah. know no i know and and that was uh, i started to say it earlier like with the new rules coming in was uh now, you you know, if you're getting punched, they want you 
trying to block punches yeah. and no, you know, no bump and feed, or if you're going to bump and feed, you have to be on a comeback. You have to look like you're going to do something as you're coming up and no double feed and a tag match. And I'm like, mm. Dude, like, this is all the stuff that made wrestling fun for me. Right. Um, I need to either make a decision. Okay. I'm going to jump on board with this and teach the way that I don't agree with, or I walk away. Yeah. You know, and that's what I, that's what I chose to do. But Let's talk about some of your famous dance routines because I remember there's a great one that uh, when China and I were <laughs> ill-fatedly together, we did one with you guys in Madison Square Garden. And you could put the shades on, and that was kind of the hypnotizing where everyone yeah. does the thing. Was there some of those that stand out for you? Uh, I mean, always with you. You know, we, yeah. I know we did it with you a bunch, right? Yeah. But it was, yeah. you know, China, Eddie, uh, Rob Van Dam was the worst dancer of all time. Um, <laughs> to Jerry probably did the best worm of all time. I think he could do it like backwards or something, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was a cool part of that whole thing is, was seeing these guys dance who you wouldn't expect to dance, you mm -hmm. know, and the Dudleys just going full on out with the dance, a big show doing the worm. And, you know, and we would do that almost every night because like you said, Brian and I would open the show mm -hmm. or be on the first half of the show. And then Rikishi would be in the main event. You know, we would, you know, DX or whoever would get involved, start beating, here we come, you know, bump the heels out. And then we would dance with whoever we just, who were, we were out there with, you know, and when we, right. like you said, we did it multiple times on TV with the Hardys and you and, and, uh, such a, such a, just such a fun, just fun is the only word, right? Like it was just fun totally. stuff. Yeah. And I think that's what the whole attitude era was, was fun. Yeah. It, the, the crowd was so involved in everybody's act. You know, like I mentioned before, like whether it was the Godfather all the way up to, to Steve or The Rock or whoever it was, everybody had a slot and people knew, okay, here's where they're going to do a worm. Here's where they're going to say, ladies and gentlemen, children of ages, here's yeah. where they're going to chant Y2J. Here, whatever it may be, there was something going on at all times. Yeah, yeah. It was a you Kiss know? concert, right? Yeah, that's I, right. You know, I just went to see Kiss recently and I was like, man, they're more pro wrestling now than pro wrestling yeah. is pro wrestling. You know? That's true. <laughs> did did, did Bikishi ever turn on you guys when he turned heel? I can't remember what happened. He did. Because remember, he ended up being the, the, the driver of the car yes. that ran over Austin. And yeah. that just killed, it killed all of the, uh, it killed all the steam. You know, they didn't have a, I don't think they had a plan for us. And then I think once Austin beat him, I don't know if they really had a plan for him. You yeah. Know? How far can you go, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I felt like we had more time left. Uh, we were that year, two thousand. Uh, Jimmy Miranda, who again, who was the merchandise guy, told me at the time that we were second and uh, wow. merchandise behind uh, the Rock. The Rock wow. was the only one, you know. So and that's not something you were supposed to know. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, how did it? Uh, as we start to, to to wind down, how did you end up teaming up with uh, with Albert? Uh, that was uh, uh, that was our pitch. You know, we were we'd been friends. Uh, I met him before he had ever even had his first match, and uh, we pitched it more of we wanted to be. I was the goofball that I was, the Scotty yeah. Giotti character, and he was the guy that he was, more of the serious heavy. You know, and I could get us into tr trouble, then he would have to you know defend us. And the first night they put us together, they said, "All right, you guys are going to dance afterwards together." And I was like, "Oh, this is going to be all you know. This is like we're trying to recreate something that's already yeah. been done." So we waited outside of Vince's office, waited, waited, waited. We finally go in there, and we still joke about this. And uh, and I, he said to Vince, "I just don't want to be a second-rate Rikishi." And Vince looked at him like we just ran over his cat and said, <laughs> second rate Rikishi. <laughs> like, you know, and then, he, but he's so smart, dude. Then he goes, Scotty Too Hotty. People pay to see Scotty. People 
buy tickets to see so like he puts me over you know and for, yeah. after he just insulted him you know? so like yeah yeah just dance yeah. he makes money you don't you're dancing yeah. <laughs> you know people joke about going into talk with him and you don't get it unless you he's such an intimidating guy you know he is he is he is an evil jedi he, yeah. will, he will make you think things you don't want to think and yeah. do things you don't want to do and you'll walk out of the office going what the hell did you agree to <laughs> Hey, let me back in. And what what was the name of you guys at the time? There was some dumb name. Uh, yeah, we were the Zoo Crew. <laughs> I don't know if they ever officially used them, but that's what we're calling ourselves because he was the hip hop hippo. And oh I was gosh. the worm. I was like, oh, silly. Yeah. <laughs> the Zoo Crew, right? It's fun to look back on and laugh, but man. Yeah. So so what was the final straw for you when you when you finally uh got let go, I guess, or, or the first time? I think it was just all uh, getting let go uh, in 07 the first time. Is that uh, what it was? Yeah. Yeah. It just, uh, it was like they didn't have anything for me. You know, they didn't have anything for I was, like I said, I was working with the new flavor of the week, whoever that was, and just, you know, some unsafe guys. And they put me out on the road with some of these guys. And then I got, man, this guy's awful. And then, you know, they would start him at TV and then they would go, oh, wow, this guy's awful. And they pull yeah. him off. And then I, well, if you just asked me, I could have told you that, you know, but, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and then I had a, a back injury, a low back injury. And I was out for a few months, just rehabbing and stuff. And then I got the day I got cleared. I got a call later in the afternoon from uh, John Laurinaitis and said, uh, I, it's so weird. Like I remember him saying, how's the weather down there? And I, you know, I'd be like, oh, it's great. You know, it's like, it's, oh, it's raining up here, you know? And he said, uh, just kind of let you know, you know, we're, we're we're going to release you, let you go however you were. And I'm like, why do we have to talk about the weather first? Yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> On my uh, my very first cruise that I did, uh, my idea was to have NXT involved. This you yeah. know, this was pre-huge NXT. Yeah. And it took them three months to decide. And they put me on a 45-minute call where they talked about all this stuff. And they said, well, and so blah, 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 10 minutes. Blah, 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 blah. And the bottom line is uh, we're going to pass. I'm like, thanks. You could have done that in a minute. See you later. And I had Ring of Honor on the phone and three minutes later. I was like, awesome. you don't have to give me 45 minutes of small yeah. talk. Just say we're not interested. See you later. Exactly. Right. So funny. <laughs> so funny. It, is it hard to, to walk away from, from WWE? And obviously – you mentioned that you want to be happy and I totally get that, but deep down inside, is it still hard? Cause it is kind of the Stockholm syndrome. You must be here to succeed sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I realized that the first time. Well, when I, when ah, I, got released, gotcha. I went out and I did, I worked Indies for almost 10 years, you know, doing yeah. cons and appearances and Indies. And I always say it was probably the most enjoyable time in my career just because mm. I was my own boss. Yeah. Some of the shows are horrible, you know, but you got to take it all with a grain of salt. Some of them are great. You know, some of them are, some of them are pretty close to backyard, but you know, right, the money, right. the money is there. You're having fun. You know, if it's a bad show, it's only going to last for a few hours and then you, something's good. Something good's going to come out of it. You right. Meet some, meet somebody cool, whatever. And then, uh, so when anybody, after that happened to me, whenever anybody that I was close with would get released, I would text them and say, or call them and say, there's life after WWE. You know, so I knew that coming in this time. Um, and uh, like I said before, honestly, from, from day one, when I came back as a coach, uh, a goal was to walk away on my own. You know, and it just felt like the time was right. And uh, I'll tell you a story, dude. Like one of the final things, 
one of the final straws. There were, there were a bunch of things leading up to it, and I knew it was time. But my girlfriend and I went to Puerto Rico uh, a few weeks ago, and I was and I and I and I've, I texted Ruby Riot, uh, Ruby uh, Soho, this this story. I want her to know this, but I was sitting on a plane in San Juan, waiting to fly back, and the video popped up from AEW in Indian in Indianapolis. I think mm-hmm. it was Punk and Cody. And maybe Tony Khan in the ring. And it looked like it was after the show went off the air. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. In her hometown, right? And they call her out. And you can tell it was all just done on the fly. And, dude, I was literally sitting on the plane with tears rolling down my face being like, that's how it's supposed to be. (laughs) Right? Like, that was a genuine moment that, like, it wasn't about money. It was about giving her a moment in her hometown, a feel-good moment for her, an appreciation moment for her. Uh, a feel-good moment for that audience and family and friends in that crowd. You know, people can call you a mark or whatever they want to call you all day long, but we bust our asses many, many, many days away from these people. When you're in a situation like that, like, give it to them. Let them have the moment. You know what I mean? Dude, I was I was in Portland, Maine, the same building I told you the story about where I would set up the ring and uh, had a match. All of my family, I have 20 people in the front row, my baby daughter taylor's in the front row you know my mom my dad grandparents aunts uncles you know all these people sitting in the front row and i wrestle Sylvain grenier and nothing against sly but this was late uh, this was after like tag team champions sly even right. you know and not not that that even matters but and they beat me yeah they beat me i'm the one guy at the time i was the only guy to ever make it to the wwf from the state of maine now there's been Fandango, but I was the only guy. We had the only wow. two guys. I was the only guy. And we're in, you know, here we are in Portland, Maine. And not only my hometown, but my home state. And we got to beat you on a live event just as a little. On a live event. Yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, I could never just, understand that, man. You know, know what I mean? And then we do that a lot. You know, do we, we go to, uh, you know, Long Island and they, it turns MGF babyface because we know what's going to. And yeah. you just, we're celebrating everybody that comes from this area. Yeah. You know what yep. I mean? So, yep. yeah. Well, well, so what's your what's your goal now as you kind of get back on the horse of, of being a wrestler again? Honestly, it's just to have fun. Have mm. fun and uh, travel again. You know, uh, that was another thing. There aren't any NXT live events right now, you know, and I don't know if there will be again from the mm-hmm. sounds of it. Hopefully there are for those those people involved. But that was my wheelhouse. I was the main roadshow uh, NXT producer. producer you gotcha. know, that was my thing. Like, I was a solid uh, TV producer, I think. I was a solid coach. But that producing those live events out on the road was was my nice biggest strength especially yeah yeah and uh i enjoy traveling man like i i I miss that it's it's in me and i like you know the the, that lifestyle i've already i'm pretty books pretty solid up through april now that's great Um, yeah um are you doing uh, stuff with with rikishi as well yeah actually we just had lunch we just had lunch yesterday it was the first time i'd seen him in like five or six years probably but he was in orlando we we sat down we're gonna try to do some stuff together Um, that's a no-brainer that's it, man, and and I don't and just have fun. You know, we have different. Uh, go, definitely going uh, over to Europe in uh, March for for a few shows. That's and, great. Yeah, and I and I thought I was done, you know, but then I like I said, I see you guys still going and do it, and and I don't have a style that I can't deliver. If I ever if I ever get to a point where I go, man, I got to wear a shirt, and I yeah. you know, and I'm not, and I'm and I'm phoning it in. I'll, I won't do it. But right now I'm in great shape, dude. I do, I do hot yoga at night. I do bodyweight 
workouts yeah. at the gym in the morning and just uh, and I push it hard and I can and I know I can still go and deliver. So it's it's uh, just I'll get out there and have some fun, you know, and and not go all the places that I that I can again. And uh, what name can you it. use? Uh, well, I I feel like I even use Scotty anyways, right? Like that's yeah. I've been Scotty since I was born. So right, you, Scotty. Um, you know, I've thrown around some different ideas like S two H maybe. You know, so Works. the thing is now, like, and this is part of the the exciting part. The the fans are so smart. Whatever it I end up matter. whatever <laughs> I end up using. You know, th- th- with social media, it's given everybody the platform to promote <laughs> yeah. themselves. You know, you know it's and, you. Yeah. Yeah. It's not like back in the day, you know, Hogan leaves. He can't be, you know, Terry. Right. You know, yeah, it's exactly, like, yeah, exactly. like the, you do, all you do is you change your name on social media. You do some videos, you promote yourself well and, uh, you know, just, just be good to people. And I think, uh, I, I think you'll do all right, you know. Just uh, and you know, and things were that was another thing that played into my decision. I, I reached out to Matt Cardona and a few other guys and just like, hey, what do you think I can make on these shows? And the money's solid out there right now, and the, and the indies are on fire, you know. Mm-hmm. So, and the comic cons are on fire, and That's, all these, you know, all these different uh, um, vehicles that we didn't have in the past, whether you know, even cameo or pro wrestling tees or all these different options yeah, that we have. Streams, yeah. Yeah, so I'm just uh, just looking to have fun. Yeah. So last question for you, and, and you might have to think about it for a second. Do you have a favorite, like, too cool Brian Christopher Rikishi story, a road story in the ring? <sighs> God, I don't know. I always the one I always go to is uh, you know because we would do the magic yellow shades and we put them on, and sometimes <laughs> I remember specifically doing this in Canada. I think it was like Calgary or Edmonton, and we would take black tape and we would. Brian and I would tape the insides of the glasses. So because we, we put them the magic glasses on Rikishi, you can't take them off. You know, so we would put them on him and he couldn't see. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> what would June Bug say after? Be mad yeah, 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 yeah. He, he could get mad, but you know, he would have to do the dance basically blindfolded. So. Well, dude, yeah. it's been great talking to you, man. You and, too, uh, man. Congratulations on following your heart because the uh, the money and everything else always follows that second. So absolutely, it's going to be great. It's going to be great to see you somewhere down the road for sure. Yes, sir. Thank you so much, Chris. Awesome, man. Take care, brother. Bye-bye.